everyone. Welcome to season one of Chasing Bravery. You're listening to episode number four with my dear friend Jillian Joseph. This episode is a little bit on the longer side because Jillian is a friend of mine and we were doing a little bit of recording and a little bit of catching up, so it got a little bit long, but that's okay. All right, I'm not going to go into too much of an introduction because Jillian does a great job of introducing herself and the episode is long enough as it is. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jillian. I'm going to have you start by um, introducing yourself, however you believe is the (laughs) most appropriate. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. I don't know what I should say. This is so exciting. (laughs) The floor is yours. Okay. Well... I'm Jillian, and I'm an undergraduate student studying psychology and English, and I'm a Native American woman. I'm a Lakota woman, and I currently work in Native government, and I am a big proponent of Native rights, and that's what my career is trajected towards. Very cool. So (laughs) we know each other because we spent um, a short but memorable amount of time together on the Cheyenne River Reservation in South Dakota. And Mm -hmm. we were both there sort of of our own accord, um, wanting to um, have different experiences, but also very similar in many ways. Um, and, And so for the audience, that's where the connection is. That's how we know each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's how I know such a, you know, amazing person. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So why don't you talk a little bit about your experience growing up in, um, in, you know, traditional, not traditional, but in, you know, in North Carolina, um, that's where you're from and kind of the, um, complexity of what it's like to be um, a person who is, you know, biracial, but not the biracial that most people think of. Because I think that that adds an, an extra complication to your story because people look at you, and you've kind of told me this before, so I'm not going to try to put words in your mouth. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to let you, I'm going to let you take it away because I don't want to, you know. Yeah. So my dad is Lakota, more specifically, he's Yankton and Sisseton, and my mom is white. So growing up in North Carolina, in like a, like, yeah, a traditional white household setting, um, not growing up on a reservation, not growing up in Indian country at all, was really interesting And it was really an experience, like, looking back on it now, of course, like, when you're a kid, you know, you're not sitting there thinking about, like, cultural experiences. Um, But my dad always made sure to really incorporate things that were important to him specifically and also, like, in a more general sense to, like, our culture as Lakota people. Um, And it was just, like, the smallest things, like, from star quilts when I was a baby to, like having like medicine bags in the hospital when I was born to having like, like a turtle shell rattle. Like there's just all these things that he made sure to incorporate in my life um, that I didn't appreciate until a few years ago. 
Um, and actually in like sort of a poignant moment, I was at the Smithsonian of the American Indian, uh, the museum in DC. And I, they have like this exhibit where you go through the different nations and the like, different tribes. Um, but like looking at the Lakota nation, um, like so many of the things they had on display, it was so surreal because I was like, I grew up with all of these things, <laughs> like the things that I had as a child and like that I grew up with were just like on display. And it's interesting because there's sort of this like dichotomy between people that are living as a Native American person in the U.S. today and then the large majority of people that only view Native Americans in a historical context and like as a historical relic. And so in that same thread, as I was growing up, I learned a lot about Native history and Lakota history from my dad. Um, but also, I think almost more importantly and more poignantly was that I learned from him what it means to be a Native American person today and that it's not, you know, what everyone thinks it is. It's not like a historical like thing that you learn about in school. It's being a human being and it's being like alive now. <laughs> and it's so much more complex than people think it is. So my dad grew up in South Dakota. Um, he lived in a lot of different places growing up. He kind of bounced around between like relatives on reservations and relatives all on reservations, but still in the Dakotas. And he was very, very impoverished. And um, just hearing all of his stories really impacted me as a child. And I really could never fully grasp what it meant to live in Indian country and like the real struggles that they were facing, even though my dad had experienced them firsthand, which is part of the reason why I went to the Shine River Reservation and why we met <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but to be honest, growing up as someone that passes as white when my mom is white and my dad is Native American is really it was actually really hard for me to find my voice as a native woman because I always was thinking I look white and I grew up in a like a white quote unquote like household and like a traditional like white neighborhood. Am I allowed as the person I am today to talk about what it means to be native American when I didn't grow up on a reservation and I didn't grow up experiencing so many of the struggles that Native people today experience. And honestly, up until maybe a year ago, I was so, I was always uncomfortable sort of like talking about like how I feel as a Native person. And um, my dad, though, was like always so supportive of it. And he always wanted me to talk about it. And he was like, it doesn't matter how you look. It matters like where you come from and like what you come from. And, um, so like I always carry that with me and now being an undergraduate student and being at George Washington University and like in the middle and the heart of like politics in DC, I finally feel like so enabled and like so empowered to take up this voice that I've been really unsure of for the past 19 years of my life. <laughs> and um, so it's been like a really great experience and I just feel like there's so much more that I need to learn about so I can continue to like speak as a native woman and to also like bring awareness and bring education to an allied community and to like the greater community of the U.S. in general. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that because I was actually thinking before we recorded, I was thinking about the conversation um, 
and I was thinking to myself how cool it is that I met you I think at the start of something for you um Mm -hmm. I mean your cultural identity obviously has been with you forever but yeah I I feel like I met you at a point in time where you were really sort of beginning down or beginning to really sort of hone in on um your quest for for figuring out what you just said, what your role is going to be and what that looks like. Um, and I just think that it's going to be just so, I, I'm so, um, like, I'm so, I feel so privileged that I, you know, yeah. kind of will hopefully get to see how this progresses because I think that you ha- are in a very, a very interesting position. Um, yeah. Being that, you know, you're not, you you know, you didn't grow up on a reservation. However, your father did. And Mm -hmm. we know that there is such a thing as historical trauma. And we know that the burden that, you know, your father bears Mm -hmm. also in some ways you carry, but in a different way. And, and so I think that, um, I just think that it's kind of, a cool thing to be at the start of because I'm sure that, you know, like 20 years from now <laughs> that you'll, you'll have done some like amazing thing for, um, you know, the life of native people. And I'll be I like, really oh, hope. there was that one <laughs> summer when we like thought we were going to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, those two months together were really bonding. <laughs> like, very, very bonding. So, yeah. Like, going from living on a reservation to having like two weeks before I like I went to DC and like moved into my apartment in DC and then like immediately after like getting to like now work on the hill and like native government and like write policy it's so surreal sometimes I'll be sitting at my desk and like writing like policy recommendations about like mental health and like psychological aspects of like Indian country and like Native American like historical trauma like all these different things that we've talked about Mm -hmm. and I sort of just like will sit there and I'm like oh my god like how did this happen (laughs) of like a month ago or two months ago or whatever like at that time I was in a completely different situation but it's sort of been surreal my dad is also like super touched by it my dad thinks it's really cool he's coming to visit me in DC in a month and he like wants me to take him to like my work and like show him everything we like take your dad to work day oh <laughs> it's really cool though because a lot of my family still does live in South Dakota and on Indian country and so like to be able to write policies and be able to like, go talk to representatives and even though I'm not necessarily like directly making this change to be a part of a greater change over a longer period of time is so cool like it's really awesome to have that like connection in that way (laughs) yeah and and you are such an appropriate person to be doing that work um and you know I we've talked about this a lot because there's a difference between you know um helping and hurting. And, um, I'm a Caucasian woman who is aware of things that are going on. However, my role certainly should look very different than your role. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's kind of a interesting thing to navigate because, um, 
it's not it's not necessarily because we want you know because you know only people who are native can work on native issues it but it but it's definitely something that like there needs to be a respect and sort of an understanding yeah. of you know what what really is an appropriate role to play and what is you know a role that is actually you know doing good as opposed to just sort of doing <laughs> right yeah I see that a lot too especially now that I'm living in DC and I'm actually at George Washington um I helped found and now I'm the president or co-president of uh, a club that's open to native students and also allies of native people and it's been really interesting like navigating this Mm -hmm. Um, the other president is a white student and she's really awesome and same with like the way that you said it like we've talked about this too it's just I feel like it's really it's uncomfortable to talk about like how someone as like an ally or as someone who's like biracial or whatever it may be how you can be a part of doing good and like making like appropriate change and like using your voice in a appropriate manner Mm. um and I feel like it's one of those things where there like of course there's a wrong way to use your voice but as far as like being an ally goes just having like the courage to even like put yourself into a community and like a sphere where you're not like culturally or racially like an immediate part of it um I think it's hard to do and I like I commend you and I commend her for doing it because like and for me too like I talked about is it's hard like you know passing as white and also having a white mom and like you know that side of me to feel comfortable talking all the time about native issues even though you know my dad comes from that and even though I'm educated to an extent about it. I still feel uncomfortable sometimes. I'm like, am I native enough to talk about this? And I realize it's like silly. I'm like, of course, like as long as, you know, you're like you're using your voice in an appropriate manner and you're not trying to speak for everyone or, you know, like as long as you're not trying to overpower the voices that are like at the root of this movement and at the root of like native rights, there's no wrong way to like be an ally as long as your intentions are good. <laughs> But and in that same like aspect, it's been so awesome to meet you, especially because I feel like sometimes when I'm at work or when I'm like campaigning for rights movements and stuff, I get really discouraged because I feel like no one cares. And I feel like I'm like, I can't make someone care about something that they're not inherently a part of. Mm. Like I you know, like you can't force someone to be educated about something that they're not a part of by birth or blood or whatever it may be, or, you know, and so meeting you and meeting some other people at my college now that are white or other, you know, like another racial background that really truly do care about like native people and native rights and like how native people are living in the U S right now is honestly so hopeful and like gives me hope that, the movement and like this progression of how indigenous peoples are viewed in the U S is like still has the chance to become more important and more positive as time goes on, instead of just continuing to get like flooded out and lost and sort of all the other 
you know, voices in the U.S. So it's exciting. Right. <laughs> right. I know. And, and I, I, I yeah, I, I feel that too, because I also, um, deal, deal with actually the exact same thing and almost on, I don't know the right word, but okay. So I'm a white woman and mm-hmm. I sit in classes and I am, you know, just, I guess I need to say this because we're recording a podcast and people don't just know things about me. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am, you know, working on a master's degree and I am working on a master's degree that is, you know, it's not like I'm getting my degree in biochemistry and being like Native American rights, you know, that would be a little bit strange um, in the classroom setting, but I'm actually getting my master's in social work. And so it makes perfect sense that I would want to discuss, you know, the, a group of people who, in my opinion, are probably the most oppressed um, group of individuals right now in our nation. Um, but the kickback that I get from from that when I open up my mouth is just nothing that I could have ever expected um, because, you know, and, and I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that, you know, I'm this person with white privilege talking about these issues. But what makes it even more interesting is that I'm talking about these issues with people who also identify as being of a minority status but seem to believe that somehow I'm making it some sort of a like contest (laughs) or that I'm you know trying to take away from the oppression of you know their culture um or their you know who what whoever they identify however they identify um and I you know, certainly don't have the answer to it because I, you know, I I don't, you know, I've tried, I've done research on this, but like the answer to how do we not, how do we not put everyone in the same bowl, but how do we also not make it a contest of who's the most oppressed and who struggled the most and how do we address all the injustices you know what I mean like how do we find a way to instead of like compete with one another and when I say we I don't mean like white people I mean people who you know like black lives matter and all kinds of movements how do we find a way to not compete with one another but instead understand that there's a common thread underneath yeah. all of it do you know what I'm trying to say am I making any yeah sense? I do I I I experienced this too a bit um maybe not as directly as you have just because you are in like a situation where I can definitely see that happening frequently right <laughs> right what you're studying what you're learning about but I feel like something that a lot of people you know don't always think about like there is no sliding skill to oppression <laughs> like right. it's just oppression like it's not like whether it's like a microtransgression or something like much larger, like environmental racism, like it exists and it's here and it's not all right. And thus it needs to be combated. Like there's no like, you know, there's no like, oh, like first, second, third. And I, but I think it's like, it's an inherent, I think, trait or characteristic that people have to want to rank things and like want to sort of like tackle certain things first or even just like, 
you know, compare like my issue is worse than your issue, even though it's not a competition to begin with. Um, but I think that the one thing that everyone can do is just to understand like first and foremost, that the people that are experiencing the oppression should always have the loudest voice. Um, so like being an ally is awesome. And I, I want everyone to be an ally of every minority group. Like that would be an ideal world. Right. But I mean, that's not going to happen probably in, you know, like our lifetime, but maybe one day it will. <laughs> that's like a hope that everyone could have. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would just say that like, in order to be able to be a good ally, you just, you can't get into like a screaming match. Like you have to just sometimes be okay with being in the background and being okay with like talking to people on a small scale and like doing small things and letting the minority of people that are being affected and being oppressed speak up. And like, honestly, I feel like almost as an ally, people should focus on magnifying the oppressed voices rather than trying to like scream into the void. You know, like there's almost this idea of like when you have, and I feel like more specifically with like native American people, there's almost this like reluctancy to open up to allies and like educate allies and like partner with allies that are specifically specifically white people because of like historical you know issues and the fact that so many times white people have ignored native voices in the U.S. so it's like you know it's this, it's this long-standing mistrust and this long-standing issue of like fighting for a voice and I think that when it comes to oppression and like trying to decide what's the most important like quote-unquote even though there's no most important I think that people should just, like I said, focus on, you know, what they're experiencing and target their voice towards that and speak about what they personally know. And then as an ally, just work to, like, magnify their voices in that same way. It's like reciprocating what you want people to do for you as, like, you know, from another minority or from another cultural perspective. (laughs) Like, not about, like, clashing voices, but about, you know, trying to magnify the people that can most poignantly and like most accurately express what they're going through. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, absolutely. It does. And I, I think that that's good advice um, for anybody listening who is dealing with a situation where they are not, a, they don't represent the group that they're trying to be an ally for. And mm-hmm. they're finding that it's difficult to, um, you know, feel like they're they're spreading maybe the right message or that they are doing what they should. Um, I think that that's an important thing to remember is that, um, you know, it's not necessarily about having the loudest voice. And if you are not, if you are not representing said group, you have to be very cognizant of the fact that it's not, you know, it's not going to be you know, any kind of easy task to try to be like the bell ringer, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and if in and, and so many ways, it's not necessarily even appropriate. Um, right. And it's really frustrating, too, because I feel like a lot of times it's just it seems like people are more willing to listen to like white voices and like the white like, you know, like a white voice speaking to another white person. I mean, as far as like our government goes, it's like overwhelmingly, you know, like white, like Caucasian, whatever. And I feel like a lot of times it's frustrating because it's like, 
almost in order to get a voice heard, it has to be channeled to another white person. Mm-hmm. And I, it's hard to figure out if that's because, like, it's an overpowering, like, allyship. Like, and it's, like, a weird, like, overpowering of voices with allies because, like, a lot of allies to minority groups are usually white people just because, you know, like, it's the largest group. Yeah. And so I feel like, like, where does that stem from? Does it stem from people, like, trying to put their voice out too loudly, like I was saying? Or does it stem from the fact that, like, maybe people take, like, that white voice more seriously or more, like, it's hard to, like, it's hard to talk about first and foremost. <laughs> right. Also, you know, so, like, we're sitting here, like. It's hard to, like, it's hard to talk about, like, because sometimes I feel like, too, like, as someone that, you know, is, like, white and also native I feel like sometimes people listen to me more because of that and I get frustrated because I'm like I haven't personally experienced this so why are you taking what I'm like recounting to you as more important than the actual original voice like why is it that I have to repeat what someone else is saying for you to pay attention like why can't you pay attention to this like origin of where it's coming from like you know what I mean it's just not really like frustrating like why like what makes a voice more valuable like what what should make it the most valuable is that it's coming from personal experience but that's not yes. always the case obviously yeah I think you're hitting on something very very real and also very hard to explain which is yeah. that and I'm going to try to articulate this without sounding offensive <laughs> um which is that you are biracial, and with that being said, it's almost as if your whiteness gives you the voice and your, um, you know, what would you like to be referred to as? Like, you're, an, in, you're a native woman, you're... Native, indigenous, yeah. Lakota, whatever. <laughs> yeah, so, and you're, and your Lakota, you know, um, background identity is the part that people like sympathize with and so you have these like two competing identities but people are willing to look at you and listen to what you have to say because they're like oh look she's an example of that type of person that we would want to help but it's almost because you have that white voice added to it yeah. I don't know if I if that makes if it, I'm sure that that sounded offensive on many levels, but no. <laughs> there's no way to like talk about it in a completely like PC way though. Like yeah. when you're talking like this, there's just no way to like please every side and like and talking about it in like a raw way is like what's important because that's the only way to like understand it. I feel like right. Um, well, but sometimes like... I definitely feel that way that like I'm only being listened to because. I like I look white and like because I am part white like I feel like honestly a lot of times people are like you're just like I feel like people are like you're just like minority enough to be like our token minority like you know what I mean like to be like that token voice of like you know like she has enough experience and like enough cultural identity to like you know like add that to whatever like movement whatever it is but she still looks white or she still like has this like white voice. Well, you know what I think of it as? And again, mm-hmm. this this is going to sound oh, 
Do you hear me? Am I here? <laughs> Hi. Am I still here? Yeah, you're back. You're back. Okay. We like okay. reconnected for a second. I don't know what happened. Okay. It's still going though. Um, okay. You know what I think of it as? And again, preface this with it's going to sound unbelievably offensive. <laughs> you are like the American Girl doll version of a Lakota woman. And yeah. with that being said, what I mean is that it's you, you fit the mold enough and it's like your features, you know, you're like, oh, like I can kind of see and like, yeah, know, I can paint, I, you know, you can, you can almost be molded to fit whatever you need to fit depending on who you're talking to. And yeah. it makes you a very you know, dynamic individual when it comes to talking about things that relate to um, Native rights and policy and that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's like, is that really what we want? Do we really want it to be that, the, right. you know, not that your voice is not super important and can do a ton of good, but, you know, both of us, ha you know, have met so many people who have lived on the reservation and had this experience whose voices, you know, really need to be heard and need to be heard in a way that is, you know, validating and will, you know, do good. And, um, and, and it's like, where does that opportunity exist, you know, and, and how do we create that opportunity for those people? Yeah. Yeah. I do definitely feel that way of like, sometimes I feel like I'm being molded by other people. When in reality, like, yes, my dad is Lakota, but also, like, people need to understand that, like, I am in no way, like, a representation of, like, what it is true, like, what it is like to live on a reservation, specifically, like, on a reservation in the Dakotas, right? the yeah. U.S., because I, I didn't grow up on a reservation, and, like, and I tell people that, like, I, I, like, a lot of times I'll preface that, I'll be like, oh, like, I'm Lakota, and they'll be like, okay, and I'll be like, but I did not grow up on a reservation. Like, I'm not about to pretend like I know these intimate struggles of what it's like to live on a reservation. Even though we both have spent time at this point on a reservation, I still would never try to impose my voice and try to, like, speak for someone that has an experience of, like, living and, like, being brought up for their entire life on a reservation. Um, and also, it, it's just, it's frustrating to me sometimes, too, because I'm, like, I, I I don't know how to be nice to people when I tell them I'm like, like I can't speak about this and like sometimes they're like why and I'm like because it didn't personally happen to me and they're like but you're Lakota or like you're Native American and I'm like and it, it's going back to the point I made about being like a historical relic. It's like not every Native person has the same identity, has the same experience because there are hundreds of tribes, there are multiple nations mm. and so many ways to be a Native American person that you could never condense it down into one experience. It's like, right. it's just not possible. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like it's bringing together all these different ways that people have lived and grown up and are living now. And like, I feel like too, it's also important to tell to like tell people that are you know like half Native, whatever, part Native, have Native, like identify as being native because you know they have like native parents or you know like, grew up in that setting I think it's important for other people like me that maybe are like biracial or you know like are native american but grew up in a, like a non like 
grew up in a place that wasn't within Indian country and to be like, your voice is valid too, but in different ways. And we need your voice, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, like your voice is important as long as you understand that, like, you can't speak on behalf of native people that, you know, live on reservations or on behalf of all native people, because that's just ridiculous. Like there are so many cultures and so many different, you know, like, it can never be boiled down to one identity, which is just, it's hard to explain that to people though, because I feel like a lot of times I have to like hook and like draw them in. I'm like, I'll talk to them about stuff and they'll start to get interested. But then I feel like I throw too much at them and I'm like, there's over 500 tribes. Like I can't speak for everything. And also I'm, you know, I'm also white. Like I can't speak for what it's like to grow up on a reservation because I grew up in North Carolina. And I feel like they get overwhelmed and they're like, la, 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 la. Like, okay for today like I don't want to learn anymore because it's kind of overwhelming to hear about this (laughs) and it is overwhelming and it's just like it's frustrating too because I feel like I want them to listen to what I have to say but I don't want to ever like misrepresent myself in order to like keep their attention you know what I mean like I don't know if that makes sense it's hard to oh yeah you don't want to sensationalize something yeah I'm like I want yeah, I want to be real with you, but also sometimes I feel like I'm being a little bit too honest because people start to get, like, confused or, like, overwhelmed, and they're like, God, like, you know. And it's funny, though, that that even happens, and it's because from such a young age, you're only taught about Native Americans in a historical context. So it's, like, understanding that, like, there are as many identities that Native people have as people of any other like ethnicity have it's kind of overwhelming a lot of people who've only ever learned about Native Americans in the form of like a condensed into a couple paragraphs in a textbook like you know what I mean it's just it is (laughs) right and and it's almost as if you know what we have to deal with right now collective we is more just the basic fact that there are individuals living in this country who are being deprived of their basic humanness. You know, they're being deprived of the things that make us human, that make us, you know, capable of thriving and being happy. And um, and and that's really what it boils down to, not necessarily the, you know, individual tribes. And, I mean, all of that stuff – on a cultural level and an identity level is extremely important, but we can't even begin to even touch on those things because of the fact that people are living, and I'm just saying this from ex- from experience and from what I've seen, not anything that I've experienced personally, but right. you know, they're living in a way that is really taking away their their humanness, um, and you know that goes for anyone who is oppressed in some way you know and yeah but it's so complicated there are so many levels to it I mean like there's just there's like such a base like human rights level to where there are reservations in the U.S. that are in the same condition as third world countries Mm. and then there's the condition and like there's like the level to it where it's like yeah like being oppressed is taking away your humanity in some ways and it's it's hard to even like disseminate everything about it because there's just so many levels and so many topics and so many like intersections between like, you know, like native rights and, envi- and like the environment and native rights and feminism and native rights and 
literally like it just the list goes on forever. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's, and it's frustrating and it also it feels hopeless sometimes when you start to think mm. about it and you start to like really like dig into it. And you have to remember that like, you know, there are things that you are like better suited to tackle. Like for me as a woman, like I'm really and also as someone that is really invested in psychology and mental health. For me it's about, you know, like this intersection between like Native American, like Native American rights in Indian country and like mental health and women's rights. And like, I mean, have interest in like a million other things. And so like, that gives me hope that there's people that are like, you know, focusing on all these other things. But it's also almost frustrating too at the same time, because I'm like, how are we ever going to get anything done? Because we're all like, you know, we all are focusing on so many different things. <laughs> We're all it's, running around like chickens with our heads cut off. <laughs> I know. I'm like, is there, I'm like, is there any way that like we can do all of this? But there is hope. Like hope is always alive in some form. Even mm-hmm. having one voice means that there's hope still. As like hard as that is to say sometimes. It's like, yeah, like it's true, you know, like as long as we have like one person that is adamant and is passionate about this, it's like there is hope still. All right, it's time for some shameless self-promotion. While I have loved every second of this venture into podcasting, I'm realizing that the show will not grow or get better without your support. We are doing the best with what we have, but the truth is that sound quality and show quality can only go so far on a broke grad student budget. For this reason, I have created a Patreon page. To become a supporter of Chasing Bravery, simply go to patreon.com forward slash chasingbravery06. The link to this page can also be found in the show notes. Once you are there, you can sign up to be a pledge and you can donate either $1, $3, $5, or $10 a month. I know there is an affordable option for anyone listening. If you're enjoying this show and want to see it grow and get better, please show your support. I myself listen to a large variety of podcasts and my rule of thumb is if I support the message and I listen every week, you bet I'm a Patreon, even if it's only $1 a month. Supporters will receive bonus content and goodies as an incentive, so definitely go check it out. Again, just go to patreon.com forward slash chasingbravery06. Thank you so much for your support. It means the world to me. All right, back to the show. I think that for personalities like you and I, I think that we both exhibit some some type A personality traits. (laughs) And we're like, like, I, I almost want to be like, okay, you, you're on women's rights and Native American. You, you're on the environment and Native rights. You, you take trauma. You take, yeah, you know, you like take that's... living conditions. You take, you know, nutrition. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, like if we all just, like, break this down, like, we just all work, like, systematically. Right, we, we need can... to delegate. <laughs> we can, like, we can make a change. Right. And, yeah, it's, there's so many, like, facets to it too it's Mm -hmm. just like it's hard to even you know like learn about some of the topics because it's hard to process it and it's hard to completely understand it and then on top of that it's hard to know where you fit in the equation as far as being an ally and also like being a voice and helping goes Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah it's it's a lot it it really (laughs) is and it is possible like I always tell that people like sometimes I find myself talking about like having conversations with people um and sometimes I'm like okay I need to like put the positive spin back on this because I feel like I'm freaking them out right now (laughs) I'm like 
but <laughs> it's okay because you're interested and that means that you know like that means that the cause is still moving and it's still moving forward like mm-hmm. so do not lose hope yet <laughs> right right well um yeah I and and I, I think that um you know just to kind of turn it into you know like a solution like kind of like put like a solution cap on the end of like this particular thing that we're talking about um is that I think both you and I both have experienced what it's like to you know be really really earnest and really really genuine and and still get it wrong and and um you know, for anybody out there who's listening, who is, you know, dealing with something similar, it does not have to be about, you know, things related to Native American rights and, you know, the injustices that they are currently, you know, still facing. It could be, you know, anything. Um, To be, to get it wrong is definitely not the end of the world. And it's certainly inevitable. Right. Because you can think that you have a grasp on something. You can read everything you think that there is out there. You can try to turn your mind inside out and look at it from a million different lenses. And then you meet someone who says one thing and it totally changes what you thought that you knew. But that's okay because that is just the human experience. And that is just part of being human and it is by no means any reason to like step away from this type of work and to step away from um fighting for the things that you believe in you know I 100% agree I feel like people shouldn't be embarrassed when you get something wrong because like you said it's just the human experience like Mm -hmm. it's part of life you're gonna get things wrong no matter how knowledgeable or how educated or how many times you've done it like you're still gonna get it wrong Mm -hmm. but you know, I feel like it's cheesy and it's cliche, but getting things wrong means that you're trying and that you're going to get better at it. So, mm-hmm. you know, especially I tell people that, you know, people that want to be allies um, and that are working to be better allies, I'm always like, I get things wrong all the time. Like, you're going to get things wrong. Like, everyone gets things wrong, no matter, like, what your identity or, like, what your place here is. Like, you're still going to mess up sometimes, <laughs> but it's okay because you know, like you shouldn't be discouraged and you shouldn't feel like it's the end of the world. You should just be humble about it and, you know, look at why it was wrong and like why the mistake was made and then tackle it all over again the next day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And almost even be grateful because every time you get something wrong, it's like, oh, okay, well, cross that one off my list. So (laughs) I got that wrong and now that's done with. It's, you know, yeah, I, I actually kind of look at it like, um, like a like complicated like hilly run I'm like okay well (laughs) this and this is just my brain I'm like okay so you know I'm on this path like I look at it as like a journey you know this whole idea of cultural competence which I don't really necessarily know if I believe is fully a thing but I'm on this journey and you know once I climb a hill, like, it's going to be really super uncomfortable. But once I'm, you know, through it, I'm through it. And it's in the past. And now I, you know, have experienced it. And um, it's kind of like, as a white person, that's how I look at it. Because um, it's like, 
I've come to the conclusion that the more uncomfortable I am, the probably the closer I am to actually doing some good um, yeah. is what I'm finding. I love that. Yeah, I feel like that's a, such a great and like a healthy way to think about it rather than like beating yourself up all the time or, you know, like being discouraged to the point where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And I feel like a lot of people sometimes like will burn themselves out trying to be a good ally and failing. And I'm like, it's okay to fail. Like, <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever gotten anything 100% right when it comes to like this idea of like being culturally competent or like politically correct or mm-hmm. what have you. <laughs> yeah, I almost want to come up with like a new word for like getting it wrong because yeah. I think that some of it comes down to the psychology of um, just feeling like we did something wrong or we failed. Like that feeling of being like, oh shit, like I really stepped in it. Like, yeah, what did I just do? But it's like, because of, you know, the way that we've been conditioned, we look at it as like, oh, that was a mistake or I did something wrong when I really think that it's more of like part of the process. And I feel like there should be some sort of term for people who are allies so that when they think about their, you know, mistakes and like here I am using that word again, it's not, they don't associate it with, because I don't necessarily look at it as, on the same level as a mistake if you know what I mean like I look at it as um well I don't know that's why I'm saying there needs to be like a new word so that people don't people don't have it like as part of their narrative that then leads to them feeling burnt out because they feel like they're just making consistent mistakes all the time yeah it's just it's hard to get away from like the human nature of being like you know, this is right and this is wrong and I'm going to categorize something into, you know, being a mistake or being correct. And yeah, that would be helpful to think of a new term. Right. I don't. That people aren't feeling like they're failing or they're making mistakes or they're incorrect. You know, it's like, it's a learning experience, not, not a test. Like it's not a test of your cultural competency. It's an ongoing experience. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I agree with that. Um, Okay, so I'm trying to I'm trying to think of how I want to steer the conversation because I want to get as much goodness out of it as possible. Um, is there anything that you would like to address or discuss with this larger audience um, of you know humans? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. What a great open-ended question. I'm so sorry. That was awful. <laughs> That's like the open-ended question of nightmares. Like, Is what do you want to impart? anything that you want to say to humans? <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, I would just say, like, you know, don't be afraid to try to find your voice as a person. And I'm also a writer. So for me, like, this idea of finding your voice has always been so crucial. Like, I mean, I started writing when I was a child and, like, as I've gotten older and as I've written like larger pieces and as I've, you know, like just as I've experienced life in general and like, you know, as I started to come into my own in regards to my cultural identity and my place and, you know, the movement and the fight for native rights, I've learned that finding your voice is an ongoing experience also an ongoing battle. 
and it's never going to be the same. Like it's always changing. And I love watching people and I love like reflecting back on myself and seeing how my voice has changed and how I've honed it. And I've, you know, like I've tweaked it and how I've experienced new ways to implement my voice and to put it into new scenarios and into new settings that, you know, like in the past, like a year ago or six months ago, maybe I wouldn't have felt comfortable, like, you know, writing policy about Native mental health issues. But now that I'm getting older and I'm getting, you know, I'm having more experiences and I'm just living life in general, I realize that one of the most important things a person can do is to find your voice. Even if it's not a concrete, like one and done thing, like every day and like, you know, like every so often, like reflecting back onto yourself and trying to find that voice that you harness and that you carry with you always is so important. So that would be advice to people (laughs) or my like blurb to humans (laughs) I love that all you humans take note Um, (laughs) find your voice (laughs) find your voice um I also would love for you to um just give any advice to anyone on what you believe are appropriate ways for people who wish to be allies to get involved, either specifically physically on a reservation or, um, you know, what are some, and and this is also somewhat of an open-ended question because um, I'd love for you to address what organizations you think are like really doing a lot of good that people could maybe be a part of, um, and then also just general places for people to start to um, to make themselves more educated on these issues. Yeah. So I think that, you know, being an ally, getting involved in any movement with any minority group, the first place you should always go is just looking at the direct source, like looking at the people that experience this oppression, this, you know, like discouragement anything that is holding them back and you should listen to their voices first and foremost always like always 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 the voices of people that are experiencing something come first Mm -hmm. and once you've looked at those voices and examined that and it's an ongoing process so it's not like you like read a couple people's like you know you know like stories or you like listen to a few podcasts and you're like all right I'm educated for life like it's all good now I know what it's like I mean it's an ongoing thing where you're always searching and you're always listening and which is another important point like listening first and foremost is always most important Mm -hmm. um so always like always be listening never stop listening um and then as far as getting involved with like a specific organization or on a reservation um I guess I'll tackle organizations first. As far as organizations go, um, there are so many great organizations that are ran by Native American people. And I think people should always look to those organizations first because, like I said, it's the same idea of listening to these voices because these are the voices that are telling their truth and speaking their stories. And so um, there's a plethora of really awesome organizations. I'm actually – so right now I'm interning at the National Indian Health Board. Mm-hmm. Um which is an awesome place to go find information about mental health and physical health in Indian country. Um, There's the National Congress of American Indians, which always has a plethora of information about everything. And they serve in a capacity as the tribal embassy. So like, like you'd have any other country's embassy to the U S they're 
the tribal embassy to the U.S. Um, so they're a great resource. But there's also a lot of grassroots organizations that I think are really important to look into and to get involved in. Um, and like I said, just like making sure that the people that run these organizations that are involved are the true voices of people that need to be heard and that are experiencing this issue and like experiencing, you know, like what the organization is trying to combat. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as far as getting involved on reservations, I think that's really hard to, it's a really, it's a slippery slope. Like Mm -hmm. it's the slippery slope of like the whole ideas of like white saviorship and like the idea of like, let me help you. And it's almost like offensive. It's like, no one needs your help. And like, no one asked for your help. Like you should be an ally. You should be magnifying voices. You should be offering, you know, like yourself, you know, in order to magnify these voices and in, in order to forward what they're already doing, like what they believe is the right direction to take this in. Um, and also something that I think we experienced really, you know, directly was that reservations and like, specifically like the communities and reservations are just that like they're communities like when you insert yourself into a community you're not going to be welcomed usually like it's going to take time um and also you can never expect a community to accept you and to embrace you and to embrace your presence because you're not a part of that like what ties you to that community is nothing like you know you're just a visitor which is an important aspect to think about whenever you're visiting a community or a place that belongs to another group of people is that you're a visitor in their space and they don't owe you anything. Like they don't owe you, you know, whatever it is you may be searching for. And I think it's also something that's important. So I do research. um, And I think a lot of people talk to me about research and they're like, well, like that's really interesting. Like, and they think of research and associate it with like going to a reservation, like doing some like sort of broad definition of like research. And I'm like, I don't like, that's so ridiculous to think about like how, what, what? Like it doesn't make sense. Like it's not, it's a community of people, like any other community of people, like the community that you live in is like a community of people. Like how, how can someone come research you like what are you talking about (laughs) it's just this idea that like you're a visitor and they don't owe you anything and if you do choose to go to reservation whether it is to visit or to volunteer or whatnot to always remember that in no way are you becoming like native in your quotes and in no way are you having a native experience and also in that same thread in no way do they owe you any information or any like stories or what I mean, like what you may think they owe you. Like they don't have to talk to you about anything. They don't need to, you know, like try to teach you or people have so many varying ideas of like what it is like to volunteer or to go and live on or to even visit a reservation in the U S mm-hmm. and it's, I don't ever want to like discourage people because I think that being able to like, visit a reservation and to see especially on Cheyenne River like the living conditions Mm. is so you know it's like it's real it's you can't ignore it when you're living it and uh, so like in that aspect I do want people to understand because I feel like sometimes that's the only way people can understand is to like directly go somewhere see it experience it obviously not in the same way that other people are experiencing it but experiencing it in your own way because then I feel like that helps you, you know, like talk about it and helps you 
become a better ally sometimes. But yeah, just going back to the point I made about there's no way that you can go somewhere or volunteer with an organization or what, like whatever you may do and think that like that automatically gives you a voice Mm. as a native person or like as someone that's experiencing oppression because it's not like Mm. there's like there's a very fine line between being an ally and then like encroaching on the voices of people that are experiencing oppression yeah that's sort of a rant (laughs) no I think it's great and I wanted that because I yeah I I just I agree I don't I don't think that it should necessarily people should be steered away from experiencing it on some level like seeing it but mm-hmm. reservations are not tourist attractions yeah um definitely. yeah and they're not you know like places where you're going to learn about i i think that people I've had a lot of conversations with people where they talk about they they say to me like, "Oh, what an interesting experience that they ha- that you had, you know, this summer." And and I'll be like, "Yeah, you know, but but it almost I almost cringe every time someone says the word interesting to me yeah. because it's like, okay, yes, like all cultures are interesting um when you, you know, really get down to it. But that interesting is not the word that I would choose to use. And it makes it seem like, you know, I like went to a reservation to, you know, like almost like as if I was like going on like an African safari or something like that. Yes, yes. And There's that's not like exotic and like, you know what I mean? This like, like, yeah, I see this a lot too with like, mission trips to different countries and like specifically like third world countries where um it's like this I like this exotic like experience and that's how like people like towed it they're like well it was an experience like and it's like this like miss like this mystique behind the word experience and like what like what do you mean by experience because you know like it's not it's not like some glamorous or some like you know, like you said, it's not like an African safari, like whatever right. that. Yeah, it's just like it's this idea of like people romanticize sometimes. I think experiences or like going somewhere and living something, but being able to leave and like not mm-hmm. actually truly living it in the same way as other people, and being like check, like I did that, like I helped mm-hmm. them, or like I went there. And in reality, it's like, yes, you did go there and like you did experience it to some degree, but then you need to be able to like go and you need to be able to talk about it and discuss it and like also think about the implications that had on you and like the people around you and the community that you were a part of. Like there's so many aspects to doing like what we did as like far as like living on a reservation and like um, doing work in a community that you're not a part of. Yeah. Right. And I almost feel as though, um, like that this kind of brings me back to the, like the humanness piece, because I think that what I try to convey to people 
now when I'm asked about my experience, my experience, um, <laughs> is that, is that, you know, I, I really, when I was there was not really so much focused on the fact that I was on a reservation or that these people were Lakota or, um, I mean, that is very, very important, but that I, if I wanted, if I wanted to, you know, learn more about Lakota culture, there are a lot of really great books and resources. Yeah, but definitely. I was there, I think, and I think that the, that this, that my reasoning, I hope, is I'd like to think that it is the most appropriate reasoning that any white person would be on a reservation, which is to sort of try to actually get an understanding for the social conditions of the humans living in that area. Right. Not not to have this, you know, like cultural experience, like it's yeah. some like traveling yeah thing um it wasn't a cultural experience like yeah and also too you know for you it might have been it it was probably different because right there are aspects of it that you like it is your it is part of your makeup and it's you know you're learning about yourself through the lens of um you know the culture but for me like that kind of information, it would never be my place to, you know, try to be asking questions and learning things about, about the culture, um, in that capacity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I definitely understand where you're coming from and like what you're talking about for me as like this. Yeah. Like for me as someone that is Lakota and also is white being on Cheyenne river was really like brought home a lot of things, a lot of stories and a lot of experiences that my dad has passed on to me about himself and about his parents and about his grandparents and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> the list goes on. But to be there was to understand more about just, you know, like what Indian country is and like what reservations are and, you know, to just – I think we talked about this too, but living on Cheyenne River, it wasn't like regardless of like what I came in thinking, which, you know, was a million things, like a million different expectations. The reality of it was I was just living there and I was just focused on living. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to, you know, like glean something from, you know, the reservation or from other people or from anything. I was just there. Mm-hmm. And I was just living that. And I think a lot of people, when they talk to me, they're like, oh, well, like, what did you, like, what did you do? It's like a big question. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that. Like, I work <laughs> like, grants. But it's not like I was there, like, doing some kind of, like, quantitative research or something on, like, Native people. Like, you know. In their natural habitat. <laughs> yeah. I'm not examining, like. I don't understand what you want me to say. And a lot of people like are actually like actors seem disappointed when I tell them I was like, well, I just went and I lived there for almost two months and I, I wrote, I worked on some grants and I just, I was just there. And they're like, but what did you do? And I'm like, well, what do you do when you're living in your community? Like in your neighborhood? Like, what do mm. you do? Like, yeah, I was just there. Like I was a, you know, 
I was an 18-year-old girl living on a reservation, and that's what I did. Like, there is, I don't have some kind of, like, like, concrete, like, research or, I don't know, like, whatever it is, journalism, like, I don't know. Whatever people... Whatever people think I should have done, I usually don't ever live up to that expectation. Dun, da, da, da. I am super pleased to announce that this episode is brought to you by Locker Lifestyle. If you haven't heard about this product, it's about time that you do. I'm not going to give too many details away about the CEO because she is the star of episode 5, but I will brag about her amazing active lifestyle brand. The genesis of Locker Lifestyle started in February of 2016. Founder Kat, being a very active student-athlete, decided she was sick of bringing her entire wallet to the gym, when all she needed was her student ID to get in and out. Lockers didn't lock, cubbies were open for anyone to steal belongings, and she didn't need everything she ended up bringing. After countless hours of searching for the perfect product with no success, she decided to do something about it, especially since running belts are bulky, unfashionable, and restricting, which I agree with. Fortunately, Kat's momager had a successful bridal store with a very talented seamstress. Kat drew up the design's specifics and worked with her to see if what she was thinking was even possible. After many revisions, her first product, the wrist locker, was born. Since then, the wrist locker has grown to include a head locker and a mini locker. The fabric is machine washable and, if I must say so myself, very luxurious. The design is also unbelievably wearer-friendly. Seriously, I have the weirdest shaped head, and my locker lifestyle headband stayed put for an entire 10-mile run, with chapstick, keys, a debit card, and goo inside. For 10% off your first order, go to lockerlifestyle.com. Again, that's lockerlifestyle.com, and enter code CHASINGBRAVERY, all caps, at checkout. And now, back to my conversation with Jillian. I also think that it's extremely um, commendable. You know, when I think of both of our experiences, I think that um, there's a path that we could have taken where we really, like, sensationalized or, um, you know, kind of like, I think maybe the word's romanticized, but, you know, like, definitely could have, like, played up certain things to make it seem like, you know, we were having this, like, super culturally enriching experience that make us you know so culturally competent and blah 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 you know what I mean like yeah but I I, and I think that that's one thing that I really really encourage people to think about is um as with oppression it's also not a contest to be culturally competent you know like that doesn't exist either and if you think it does then you probably need to really like re-examine yeah some things <laughs> this idea that people have that they need to like physically experience something like again this word experience like this like experience and like uh you know like overarching term to like cover you know these like exotic adventures like you know what I mean yeah. sort of like we're talking about like the whole back to like the whole idea of like the African safari or like the, you know like the trip to a third world country or whatever it may be but to experience and like that's like such a basic way like just living and being a part of something and like just you know like existing <laughs> is so much more important sometimes 
than trying to like ever impose or like extract from a situation like cultural value. There's this idea that a lot of people have that any experience you have or like anything you do should have some sort of like value to it, right? Like some sort of like tangible like I learned X, Y, and Z while living on the Cheyenne River Reservation. And it's like, no, that's not how, that's not how life works. Like any, like you don't always, people always are like, I feel like there's this like romantic, like idea that everything that happens for a reason and like everything that happens to you, you'll learn from. And sometimes things just happen. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) sometimes not, sometimes like it's not fair to like look at a situation or a condition like on the China reservation or wherever you may be and be like, this is because of blank. Like, you know what I mean? And like, there's this idea that like you want to go there or like you want to be a part of something to like solve it or to understand it. And the uncomfortable truth is that it's not understandable always. And it's not always easily explained away and it's not always easily solvable. It's just, you don't have to tangibly go and like touch and feel something or you know be able to like sum everything that you just did up into a sentence or two because sometimes the more important thing is just that you know you've experienced you know just something not yeah you didn't do research and you didn't come back with some like revelation like you just find yourself you know there's just there's so many things that people have asked me and that I've asked myself too I'm like what did I learn like, what did I need to learn? Um, you know, how did I grow as a person? And then sometimes I realize I'm being unfair to myself. Like, in regards to living on the reservation and just since and before then, like, not everything you do needs to have this, like, easily summarizable, like, sentence of, I learned this or, like, I did yeah. this, you know? Right. It's just, it's hard to talk about. Like, it is hard to articulate because it's not, like, a common thing that people have experienced or have done like (laughs) well and I mean I think that it's hard to talk about because it's also hard to think about like I think that the words that like are coming out of your mouth it makes sense to me so yeah you know and I and I'm I know that it's often when we speak about things that are complicated it's we have this feeling of like I don't think anyone is understanding what I'm saying right now right you know the truth is a lot of times it's very, very, um, you know, it's also true that like you don't fully understand exactly what it is that yeah you might, you know, and it's okay to, um, to sit with things and to, like you said, some, some, some things just, there just really isn't an explanation for it. It's just, it just is what it is. And, um, you know, you don't have to, you know, make every little thing into this like super huge meaningful you know experience um to to do good or to care about something like it that's we still at the end of the day are humans that have just like very basic needs and a lot of the stuff we do just comes down to the fact that we're just like humans who do stuff to stay alive (laughs) no I I completely agree and it's it's interesting because it seems like every time I go back and talk about, you know, like what it's what it was like to live on Cheyenne River, it always is a little bit different in the way that I think about it and the way that I find mm, yeah. it. And um, yeah, sometimes I feel like I need to validate myself. I'm like, it's okay to feel this way, even if it maybe isn't the most like 
you know, like wanted thing or the most expected thing when I say something like it doesn't have to be like, like I said, I don't have to be like, oh, I found myself. Like, you know what I mean? Or like, I discovered this about my culture or whatever it may be. Cause that's just, that's just absurd. Like that would be saying like someone that, you know, has like Italian heritage, like they went to Italy and they found themselves like, like, there's like, that's such like an absurd and weird, like expectation that a lot of people, I feel like in the U S maybe like a lot of people had this idea of like getting back to your roots. And it's Mm -hmm. like, what are your roots? Because like everyone's identity is so different. Like, like I've said many times throughout this conversation, like every identity and voice is so unique to every person that like, it's not possible to have, you know, like to go somewhere to do like something and then to magically know your identity and like know who you are. (laughs) Like it's silly to like try to impose that on yourself. Yeah. And it's not fair either to yourself. Um, Okay, so one last big thing. Um, I know that we were like just talking about how there's so there's so much intersectionality with all of these issues. Um, but what are, in your opinion, some of the key areas that um, you know should be being targeted that will have the, I guess the most um, preventative, widespread, positive impact? in terms of policy? Mm -hmm. So for me, I think that addressing the living conditions on a Mm -hmm. lot of reservations in the U.S. is something that should be at the forefront of everyone's conversations just because, Mm -hmm. you know, like how can you expect people to tackle? It's just like how can you expect people to tackle and like really like critically think about things when they're when like the most pressing thing for them is like clean water? Like, that's Mm -hmm. so real. And it's, I mean, like, even, like, I feel like we experience this to, like, a very, very different degree and, like, a very different level of just, like, when we were there, we had needs that eclipsed the need to, like, you know, just, like, be maybe as involved in, like, politics Mm. or, like, whatever it may be, like, schoolwork, et cetera, like, I like, for me personally, I don't think I could ever give anything my, like, 100% undivided attention because I was always, like, concerned or, like, I was always, like, worried about, like, other things. You know what I mean? That is so – yeah. Yeah. That, yes, that is so – that is such a good point because yeah, you're so right. No, we did not experience what people experience. You know, we don't, we don't have a lifetime of living on the reservation. We don't have – I mean, like, we got, like, you know, like – the tip of a pinky fingernail of an experience, right? But at the same time, I realized when I was there, like my level of functioning went down so many notches when I was living there because of the fact that the, um, there, there were just so many, aspects of the living environment which was good comparably right um to other situations but like I I genuinely and this is just full honesty which I think is important you know I would not have been able like I, I could not sustain my coursework or level of you know functionality if I had to live on a reservation yeah I mean just I wouldn't be able to there's so many just obstacles. I mean, like, even the, like, very watered-down version of it we experience is just, like, the water. Like, you know, like, just, yeah. like, the way that we, like, 
cooked and like ate and like drank water was different because like our water was obviously contaminated. Yeah. And uh, so just like at that level, it's just these like these small, I mean, not small, like that's a huge thing, but it's all of these things that we take for a lot of people take for granted that when you start thinking about like for me, like right now, like, well, I think about getting, you know, like finishing my degree I could not imagine trying to finish a degree or trying to like do something like in this vein of higher education while having to worry about not having like a consistent supply of water and not having a safe living environment. I mean, like I take for granted the fact that like my apartment has water that I can drink straight from the tap from like from the sink tap and like, you know, it's just all of these things that culminate in the inability for them, for like, for people living on a reservation that is experiencing these issues to like, to reach this idea that we have of being like politically engaged. Yeah. I think a lot of people are like, well, like, why don't they, you know, like, why aren't they more active politically or whatever? Like people living on like XYZ reservation. And I'm like, because they're worried about, you know, like clean water and they're worried about, um, like a million other things that you're not thinking about um, as someone who is living in a, like an area where that's not a concern and that's a privilege that you have. Right. And like, honestly, let's make you really, let's make you feel really yeah. physically bad physically yeah. because you're not getting what you need nutritionally. And you, there's probably stuff in your, in the water that you shouldn't be drinking. And you're probably not getting enough sleep because you're, you know, not, feeling secure sleeping through the night or you're hot or you're too cold or you're sleeping with a bunch of other people let's let's add all of those things onto you and see what kind of thoughts you're able to piece together you know it's like yeah it's it's definitely it's so hard to talk about too because it's like I never want to put my I never want to like make it sound like you know like living on a reservation like disables you or something like that because right like it, yeah. I don't think that, you know, like there's so many different, there's so many different things at play here, but going into that same idea, like that I just talked about how it's hard to talk about, you know, like the conditions on some reservations in the U S that really goes hand in hand with like mental health mm. in Indian country, because we see our rate of suicide so much higher than any other group in America. We see like these rates of violence that completely just, eclipse other rates of violence among like minority genders anything in the u.s and it's it's so frustrating and it's so scary to think about and it's you know how there's so many it's there's it's really hard to talk about how to tackle this like you know these issues and these statistics because it's so real for the people that are living it and it's like i feel like sometimes we talk about like the conditions of reservations, people are like, they're third world countries. And like, even like we were talking about, like, how can they, how can you like function on like this level with these conditions? And like, it's easy to see how this like hopelessness and this like cycle of hopelessness is spread when you're living in these conditions. And then people are talking about it in these ways because it's like, you know, like they're right. Like, or it's just this like realization that like, you feel like you're stuck or you feel like there's no hope or you feel like, you know, the living conditions that you have now are going to be forever. And 
it's just it makes it it just it make it makes the issue so much more complex and the way that we talk about you know reservations that are in such a poor condition and how we talk about people that live on those reservations and like like what they need as people you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah so we're going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs <laughs> and i i mean i think that that is probably um a good thing to focus on. Um, just so you know, when I, so, um, for each guest that I have, I create a like page on the website and the page is basically like a link to everything that we talk about. So, you know, a link to, you know, in all of these resources and, um, you know, Obviously, in a conversation, it's not always easy to make sure that you're hitting on all of the things that you want to hit on. So right. um, the the your page will encompass, you know, all kinds of like really valuable resources that people can access if they want to learn more about something or they want to look into something a little bit more. Um, so, you know, because obviously we can't cover everything in a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um and so that's what the, you know, the web page exists for um, so that people can do some of their own research and um, just kind of use this conversation as like a guide, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, so let's see, where are we at time? Okay. So definitely getting to the time limit. Um, I feel really bad. I feel really bad because I, you know, you're, you're such a incredible person as, you know, just, there's a lot we could talk about just about like you. And I didn't necessarily want to make this all about, um, you know, talking about, you know, activism and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I do think that it's an important it's a huge part of my life, so. Yeah, yeah. But I hope you didn't feel like I was using you as, like, a vector for, no. you know, like, spreading this kind of awareness. I mean, I know that it's important to you and that, like, it's something that you're doing anyways. However, it's not – I'm not necessarily trying to say that, like, this is who you are. Yeah. There's a lot of other pieces to you that are, you know, don't yeah. have anything to do with anything that we just talked about, so. <laughs> I definitely – I don't feel that way. I mean, it like – like we said, like it's an hour long like conversation. Like there's no way we could, you know, possibly like hit on every aspect of like who we each are. <laughs> right, right. And I'm sure that at some point I'll have you back on and we can talk about something completely different. <laughs> yeah. But just like talking about this now again with you because I know we haven't like talked like in this not like, you know, like in this way since we were like living together. And it's so great to like talk to you again about it. I don't think I could ever have asked for someone better to like be living with on the res like on the Cheyenne River Reservation and like to be having these experiences with and like really like figuring out some things that had been weighing really heavily on me so yeah we well, found each other <laughs> I know well I mean I think that it really was a situation that was kind of meant to be because I think that um we both like now we know that we have each other for this journey right like I feel like uh-huh. um I think that we're kind of on like paths professionally that will probably intersect at various points. And it makes me really happy to know that, you know, like I have you as a resource and that, or not as a resource, that sounds bad as like, 
somebody who I can talk to about these things because like we did have that bonding experience of literally living in a closet together. (laughs) Okay. A lot of people sometimes too, they're like, Oh, like what, you know, like what was your situation like? And I was like, picture a closet and then picture two like grown ass women (laughs) living in a closet together. (laughs) That had no AC for all but like two weeks that we were there. Like plus, plus the addition of a, traumatized dog <laughs> being yeah he really did experience some like traumatic events <laughs> i know binks binks is still recovering and now we have the addition of kala which is just like they're so i love like seeing pictures you post them together they're so freaking cute aren't they cute they're the cutest so much <laughs> so kala kala loves chad like chad is like mm. her, like her person like she just totally gravitates towards him and is just like daddy so we got our Christmas tree today right and um it was so funny when we were setting it up because we were like talking to Kala like I was talking to Kala and I was like Chad was like unloading the tree from the top of the car and he goes Kala look at this really big stick I'm bringing into the house and I was like we were like joking because we were like Kala's definitely gonna think that you're at the top of the hierarchy because you found the biggest best (laughs) set it up in the house you will never like that (laughs) like my like she like looks at him and is like wow like a god a tree into the house like my dream (laughs) so awesome yeah yeah um so I will um edit this episode and I'll definitely send it to you before it's released yeah. Um, I'm, I'm doing that with all the guests because I don't want to release something and have people be like, um, I don't, that's not what I, <laughs> like, I don't want to misrepresent oh. someone, you know, like, even though people, like people were present for the conversation, I don't want to release something and release it. And, you know, people might look back on it and be like, actually, I don't necessarily want that out there. Um, yeah. so don't worry. Like, this is not, now that it's done, it's not like it's like, being now it's in my hands. <laughs> Right. Um, and then if you want, if you can, when you have time, if you can send me anything that you think would be worth putting on your page in terms of like things that people can access. Um, Mm. and I'll do a little bit of work myself. I'm going to actually, I'm going to actually write like, I guess maybe like a paper or like maybe some sort of a PowerPoint people can download on, tips for being a good ally um because I think that could be a good thing to add to the to you know to kind of like give the conversation you know some like guidance you know some accessibility so people aren't just like what is happening (laughs) right exactly like am I doing everything wrong like what should I be doing like just kind of something that people might be able to use um I'll probably do something like that and then I would love for you to send me the links to all of the things that you talked about and then maybe anything else that you didn't mention yeah um yeah also I changed my idea um so I was, you know how I was thinking about like the whole fair trade idea? Mm-hmm. So I was like thinking about it and trying to put it together. And the more that I did, the more that I realized that it is just not something that I think that I'll be able to have access to. Like mm-hmm. to get to get in 
contact and build relationships with artists is not something that I think that like I can actually realistically do right now. Yeah. And so then I was thinking about the fact that I was like, why am I not focusing more on the thing that I know the most, which is like all of my background in behavioral health. And so I was like, honestly, what I think that I should focus on is trying to actually start um, after school running programming for girls, but having it less to do with like the run, like it, the running part is important, but it's mm-hmm. more about like the physical activity and then the programming piece of like having some place to go after school every day where mm-hmm. they can receive like a meal and also have incorporated some sort of um, probably like trauma-sensitive yoga practice or like something that addresses the trauma that like we know statistically that most women in particular on reservations have experienced trauma on some level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also the way that trauma works, like talk therapy does not work for trauma because part of the brain that you know, remembers trauma is, is the primitive brain. And so, you know, there needs to be other approaches to dealing with that. And so, um, like, I love the concept of girls on the run, mm-hmm. but you ca- you couldn't put a girls on the run program on a reservation or in any oppressed community because it doesn't deal with the cultural piece. Like it needs yeah. to also deal was- with like, yeah. Yeah, I was a part of Girls in the Run. I was like a child too. Were <laughs> you? Memory. Yeah, and like good, good memories. But yes, definitely like would not be appropriate for any sort of like culturally sensitive. Like, like the format of it is so awesome, and like it was oh, so yeah. healthy and like good for me to be a part of. But like making a couple of tweaks to that and like adding in like culturally sensitive, like and trauma sensitive things would be incredible. Like that would be yeah. so. And, like, something consistent. You know what I mean? Like, so what I was thinking – so I, I started – like, I um, I actually found professors who are really interested in the concept because of just, like, going back to, like, what is actually going to be helpful, you know? Like, mm-hmm. probably not trying to figure out a way to get people into therapy. Like, that doesn't make yeah. any sense. But – if there was a way that, um, you know, girls could, and I'm just talking about girls because like you got to narrow it down, you know, like, yeah. And, and so for me, I'm like, I feel like that's like something that I could address. Um, so like girls, if they had a place that they knew that they could go after school and it was the, it was some, like, there was someone who was the facilitator or a group of people who were the facilitators who had been trained and who were, like, committed to being part of a program for, like, an entire year um, mm-hmm. and having it be, like, six days a week and having it address, you know, like, nutrition and just having it be, like, a community that was, like, a wholesome thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also, you know, put a lot of emphasis on just pride in Lakota culture or, you know, if it was on another reservation, it could, you know, focus on that particular culture. Like it could be, um, adapted to fit different areas, but yeah. like have like a culturally sensitive, 
like model, you know? Yeah. Reading like my biggest issue, I think we talked about this a lot with like when we were working like with like with the why was just that there was no like Lakota people mm-hmm. that were like acting as role models. Like it was always white people. And it's mm-hmm. like that's great, like we need allies, but it's like in order to like really make this resonate and like really make it like a true cultural, like healthy experience and relationship, it needs to be someone that lives on the reservation and has lived on the reservation like full time and is like a Native American woman. Like you know what I yeah. mean? Or like it's just like it's not it's almost like buying into the whole like you know, like white is better because it's like your only role models are like white people. You know what I mean? Like, does that make you yeah. know, like that idea of like, oh, I could only be that way if I was white. Like, it's almost like that subconscious, like, why are all my role models like a certain ethnicity, but never my ethnicity? You know what I mean? It's just like, there's a yeah. like, divide between like, I can never achieve that because I'm not like them in this like really base way. Right. Well, and so what I was imagining in my mind was like, if I could find like a bunch of Iran, you know, Iranas to be like the leader, you know, for for like said group mm-hmm. and like it would be so great if it could gr- like you know grow to a point like because there's tons of girls on the run groups all over the nation but if there were a lot of like you know chasing bravery teams all over the you know all over reservations and in um you know impoverished communities like that could almost become a support system in and of itself like you know there could be ways that like those groups could interact with other groups and sort of like serve as like a you know like a support like this is what you know it's like for us here and this is what it's like for us here and I don't know like it could sort of like help um I don't know I definitely like I see like that vision that you're talking like that's so awesome you're so awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, like I'm like we were talking about, I feel like it's just like a journey and I don't know like when I'm going to get it right, but I feel like I'm like getting closer and closer. Like I'm trying like I'm like bound and determined to come up with something that is like action focused and could have a me- like an immediate positive impact. And I'm like trying to figure out what that's going to be and I'm going to make it happen, but I just... I'm here to support you 100%. (laughs) I just am like constantly sort of like, okay, like, but what is that actually going to look like? I think I'm, I think I'm getting really, really close though, because I think that this whole idea of just like getting back to the basics and providing a safe space, incorporating movement and addressing trauma, like I think that those are all things that could have like an immediate positive impact you know yeah, definitely yeah that's so exciting yeah. yeah love it yeah I think that like bringing in like the things that you know about and like that you love too are just so important because like when you're trying to make something like that happen like you have to have like a passion for it you know what I mean like you can't just be like I like this and like I care about it but I'm not like in love with it you know what I mean like the idea of like truly loving like what you're doing mm-hmm. so important well, right and I I totally identify with like this the concept of just like I know how therapeutic running has been for me um and like I'm a woman who's experienced trauma not you know but like I've definitely experienced trauma and running has 
been the one thing that's helped me to address it, you know? So I'm like a big believer that that could actually be something that would be accessible yeah, and attainable, you know, for those girls, like if they were given the right, um, the right format and the right opportunity, you know, like a safe place to do it, a pair of running shoes, like it's just like such an empowering, like freeing thing to be a part of. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think that it, I think that like a lot, like people who are runners know like the, the, the positive impact it can have. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not going to keep you much longer because I'm sure that you have things to get on with, but I just wanted to give you an update on the status of my like, that's so exciting. Constantly evolving thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I feel the same way. I feel like everything I always do is like constantly like change. I'm always like trying to like get a grip on it. I'm like, okay, like I've almost got it. Like I'm working on it. Like being at GW is awesome. Like I've started a bunch of stuff and I'm trying to, I'm trying to, to like start an initiative to like propose for a grant from GW and it's just been like so crazy. Like trying to like get everything to like work and like trying to like figure out like even just to figure out like what exactly it is I want to even do. It's just like like so hard. It's like the most basic thing that you would think like the easy thing to do would be to be like, oh, I want to do this. And in reality, mm-hmm. that's the hardest part is deciding what you actually want to do. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And from what I hear, it just constantly changes. Like my mom is still like, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah. I hope that's always how it is because life would be so boring if right? like that one thing and you achieved it and then you were done. That would be so boring. Yeah. That's so true. That's what I'm going to tell Chad because Chad is just like, babe, there are only 24 hours in a day. Okay. And because there are only 24 hours in a day, we're going to wrap up this conversation here. There was no really great place to wrap up the conversation and I'm still in the process of making some smooth transitions to make this whole editing process easier. Um, So, you know, with that being said, got to kind of get on with it so that Chad can do his magic and edit the episode. Um, I hope that you enjoyed the episode with Jillian. I know that we talked a little bit about some uncomfortable topics. Anytime that you start talking about cultural competence and cultural sensitivity, it's a little bit weird, even if you're really good friends with the person. And so it's important to just remember that everybody feels it a little bit when they're discussing things like that. And, you know, the message is not to shy away from those conversations or to stop engaging in them if maybe you say something wrong and you feel silly. Um, The point is just to learn from your mistake and continue to learn how to be the best possible advocate and ally that you can be. Um, For more information on what we discussed in the episode, please visit Jillian's page. This is a really important episode for you to do that because there are a lot of really great links that she provided me with that will take you to different websites and resources that really talk about the data and statistics and the reality of what's happening in Indian territory right now, Indian country. Um, So to do that, you go to www.chasingbravery.com. If you click on the goodies tab, it will bring you to the blog page with all of the episodes. And if you click on Jillian's picture, it will bring you to her episode and you can find everything that you need there. Again, that's www.chasingbravery.com. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about me or just seeing what's going on with the show, you can also follow me on social media. 
ChasingBravery06 is my username or handle for both my Facebook and my Instagram account. Um, that's ChasingBravery06. All right, guys, I hope that you have a great rest of your week, great rest of your day, and remember that whatever you are chasing, chase bravely.